welcome to yet another episode of Cowgirls and Indians. This is Christina Cook, the cowgirl. Keith Nobles, the Indian. <laughs> and we are your hosts. Uh, we're trying in this podcast to give you the tools and, and give ourselves the tools, quite frankly. You're teaching me a lot. So um, to, to really understand and, and kind of break down what we see coming out of the news, what we see coming out of you know, the out of Washington, D.C., out of Denver, out of, you know, any of these Democrat strongholds where the leftists hold sway. You know, a lot of times, it, it, Keith, it, it just seems like this stuff makes no sense. Uh, it's because it doesn't. Well, <laughs> well, well, wait a second. The premise of this podcast is that we're giving it some sense. We'll give it structure. <laughs> it makes no sense, but we'll give it structure. Fair enough. Fair enough. So so that's what really, you know, we're trying to do is, is uh, you know, just kind of understand what I guess what their thinking is, if if that's possible. <laughs> you know? Well, at least what their philosophy and ideology and tactics are. Right. Yeah. Right. So if you've been listening uh, to this podcast all along, welcome back. If this is the first time that you found us, I'm glad that you're here. Um, today, I think we're going to dive into cancel culture. Yes. Which is kind of a fun subject in, in a way. I mean, it's not fun to be on the receiving end of it, for sure. But... Um, in my mind, it's a fairly easy mechanism to break down, even though it's absolutely infuriating in its implementation, right? It is. <laughs> but but there, there's a philosophical reason behind it that we'll, we'll delve into. Well, of course. Well, of course. All right. Well, kind of give me a preview of what, what it is that you're thinking that we'll talk about on this well, episode. Well, there's a well-known quote. Hell hath no fury like a vested interest masquerading as a moral principle. <laughs> I like that. Yes. <laughs> yeah, and that's what a lot of this comes down to. Right. Yeah. Well, it is vested, vested interest. I mean, that's that's exactly what they're... It's propaganda. It's it's propaganda. It's snowflakey. I can't stand to hear anybody say anything that I disagree with, you know, or... Well, let me say there's, me. there's more depth to it than that. I agree. Yeah. I agree. Well, what do you think the depth is? I'll well, thinking about how to do this. I was going to start off our conversation with a quote from Alexander Solzhenitsyn. Okay. If we're to be deprived of the concepts of good and evil, what will be left? Nothing but the manipulation of one another. We will sink to the status of animals. Right. So I often quote and cite Solzhenitsyn, and I suggest everybody read Solzhenitsyn. But there's a lot of misunderstanding about Solzhenitsyn. Okay. In our 21st century political mode, people try to... Portray Solzhenitsyn as a libertarian and then bash him for being insufficiently libertarian. He is not. <laughs> okay. So it's, it's, and to understand this quote, and then to bring this back to cancel culture, I think we need to talk about Solzhenitsyn for just a little bit. Okay. Okay. Please do. So Solzhenitsyn was an atheist, communist, a captain in the Red Army really? in World War II. Okay. Okay. He is part of the army. That the, the Red Army, the Soviet Army that invades East Prussia, which is part of Germany proper, near the end of World War II. Okay. He sees the Red Army soldiers behaving in a way that is abhorrent. And he will later point out, are we any different than the animals, i.e. the Nazis that we're fighting? Right. Right. And uh, what Solzhenitsyn sees, among other things, are... Soviet soldiers, Red Army soldiers, raping little girls to death. Jeez. And uh, he will actually later on write a poem about that in the gulag called Prussian Nights. Nights as in evening, not as in chivalry. Right. <laughs> and uh, 
I actually write the, the poem in the gulag by carving it into a bar of soap. Wow. One stanza at a time, memorizing that stanza and then carving the next stanza in a bar of soap, memorizing. This is how he writes the poem in the gulag and, and remembers it. Holy moly. So let me just read a little bit about the poem. Okay. Okay. The little daughters on the mattress, dead. How many have been on it? A platoon, a company perhaps. A girl's been turned into a woman and a woman into a corpse. It's all come down to simple phrases. Do not forget, do not forgive blood for blood, a tooth for a tooth. Wow. And so he is quite repulsed by this. Uh, Rightfully so. And it sounds like it. Yeah. So he will express his criticism of this in a private letter. And for doing so, he will be arrested and sent to the gulags. This just demonstrates what we talked about before, replacing moral agency with political agency. Right. Right. And this is what Solzhenitsyn is going to spend most of the rest of his life doing, is demonstrating the insanity of replacing moral agency with political agency. Okay. The idea that soldiers could rape little girls to death as long as they were German and be supported by the state in doing that. Solid, reputative said, if a Red Army soldier wants to have a little fun, why do I care? Right. Right. So, um, but the man who is repulsed by that is arrested and sent to the gulag. Right. Right. This is this is one of the well, best cases <laughs> of replacing your moral agency with political agency. Right. That you're raping little girls to death is perfectly acceptable. Right. That you criticize that. That's the crime. Right. Right. Yeah. And and what? Why is that? Well, it's because all these strategies for implementing these 19th century German philosophies, Nazism, communism, fascism, progressivism, are all dependent on people not exercising their moral agency. Right. So the real crime there Solzhenitsyn committed was expressing moral agency. Even though he's an atheist, he's a communist at this point. Right. He's an officer of the Red Army. Right. But he has a conscience. Yes. He shows some semblance of moral agency, so he has to be sent to the gulag. Right. Right. And eventually the gulag, he will, over time, convert to the Russian Orthodox Church renounce communism, renounce atheism. Okay. And he's really going to spend the rest of his life making the argument that what really matters is the moral character of a people. Right. Not a political character. And he's going to point out these 19th century German philosophies, Nazism, communism, fascism, progressivism, are all about destroying the moral character of the people and replacing it with a political character. Well, and it goes back to something you said a few episodes ago about they want to tell you what you can believe is moral. Well, right? what, I mean, they, is it, what they believe is moral is what they find to be politically useful. Well, right. That's just a short story to it. Right. You're just replacing what's moral with what's political. Right. This is the, the fundamental, it's nihilism, right? They, they reject fundamental aspects of human existence, like objective truth, knowledge, morality, values, and meaning. Right. And they replace all that with what is political. But, but they don't tell you that we're replacing it with what is political. We're, we're, we're claiming that the climate is a moral, uh, a moral imperative. You know, saving the climate is a moral imperative, and therefore you should hand over all your money so that we can save the climate for you. You know, I mean, they're, they're, they're claiming that transgenderism is a moral imperative. Well, they're, they're political imperatives for them. They are. They are. For them. Yes, for them. And, but how they sell it, I guess, and, and this is this is my point, it, it's how they sell it to the people. The political is moral for right. them. 
Right. That's it. The political is moral. There is but they're nothing. Not, they're not going around telling everybody you need to replace everything you ever thought was was moral with what we think is political. Well, they are saying expedient. that. They're just not that explicit about well, it. Well, and that's my point. <laughs> yes. <laughs> which yes. is a little bit about, you know, what we're trying to do is we're trying to say out loud the quiet parts. Yeah. In, in a lot of cases. And 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 this is this is absolutely one of those things because they and and I think the for me, the the effect on people who are who generally ascribe to the conservative side of the spectrum. And and the reason why I say it that way, not just, you know, the way it impacts conservatives, the way it Im- impacts people who are on this side is because we're on this side of the spectrum because we believe in good and evil and absolute truth and moral agency. And we believe in all of these things. And so in yes. order to, to cancel us or in order to cancel even our viewpoint or the the ability of anybody who believes in this stuff to say these things out loud, they have to prey on our feelings of good and evil and our feelings of conscience and, and wanting no, they, to be they good They certainly people. use our ethics against us. Bingo. That's, that's, that's yes. a much shorter way of saying what no, I was they, just trying they to They absolutely do. use our ethics against us. But let me suggest that the essence of cancel culture is not political. Okay. It's moral. It's specifically people using their moral agency. They would love it if Republicans and conservatives and libertarians would spend all their time arguing with them over politics. That's their ground. Right. Right. What they can't argue over is moral agency because they deny it exists. Right. And so Jordan Peterson, who I think probably everyone has some level of familiarity with. I hope so. And if you don't, go Google him. And, and yeah. And, and some people like him and don't like him. Some people agree with him, but don't agree with him. But the whole essence of what Jordan Peterson says is that you need to use and not give up your moral agency. Right. Right. That's the heart. So let me, let me just read something he wrote recently. It's pretty short. I'm not courageous in my speaking up. I'm more afraid of the alternative. And part of the reason for that was when I was a clinician, I spent thousands, tens of thousands of hours dealing with people's serious problems. One of the things I learned, and I really learned this, was that you do not get away with anything. And so you might think you can bend the fabric of reality and that you can treat people instrumentally and that you can bow to the tyrant and violate your conscience without cost. But that is just not the case. Right. Of course, this falls right in line with Solzhenitsyn. Right. It's like if you're going to replace your moral agency with political agency, you'll end up a screwed up human being. <laughs> right. I mean, it's there just is the, the cost to be paid. Yeah, yeah, exactly. That's just the short story to that. Yeah. Right. If you're going to say my conscience doesn't matter, I am not going to apply my moral agency. And by moral agency, we don't mean some code of ethics per se. Right. That's, well, I want to make that, that phrase itself very clear as to what we're talking about. Go on. I'm yeah, sorry. I didn't mean to. No, that's fine. But the idea behind moral agency is you are using your own judgment, your own experience, your own knowledge, whatever data and information you have acquired to decide this is a better decision than that is. Okay. Right. That's really what it is. I'm deciding, you know, this is a better outcome if I do this than if I do that. Okay. That's really what we're talking about. It's not. Well, in part, it's too. It's also, though, about how you define better. Well, it it is. But again, that's a moral judgment. (laughs) Well, and that's that's my point. Is that I mean, because if taken at face value, um, let's just say at at an agnostic from an agnostic point of view, not not necessarily related to God, but just, you know. Yes. Agnostic of the meanings of, of the words. If, you know, taken at face value, what you just said could be applied to those on any side of the spectrum. Oh, oh you know, absolutely. It's, it's, it's better for me to to 
bow down and go along it's, with these people and, so, and do this because I can make more money that way well, or I can get the girl or I can whatever it is. Well, yeah, but and the point to this is what they're replacing your moral agency with this political agency. Right. They may entice you to do that with money or the girl right. or position or your friends will agree or whatever it may be. But nonetheless, you are voluntarily replacing your moral agency with political agency and you will pay a price for that in your own conscious, in your own soul, in your own psyche. That's, that's just inevitable. So this sounds like a problem as old as time. You know, I mean, I can, I can, I can't sit here and quote it for you, but I can, I can, you know, going back, I just read uh, recently the Iliad. Oh, yeah. Okay. Um, and there are several examples in there of, you know, somebody doing something because it is more expedient for the moment than it is in line with, you know, the gods or the good of the army or, you sure. know. Achilles being the shining example of that. Right. If you've read, if you've right. read the Iliad, yes. I mean, he is the yes. shining example of, you know, I'm going to do what's best for me and screw all the rest of you guys. Yeah, so. well, and selfishness has been around forever. Right. But this is this is different. Okay. Right. So what you had throughout most of the world for quite a long time was a situation where monarchs and churches defined what was morally right, morally wrong. Right. The Enlightenment comes along. And before the Enlightenment, the Reformation, right. the Reformation goes, you know what? Yeah, this is not a good model, <laughs> right? There's a better Not way. an exact quote from Luther, but close. And well, yeah, very uh, close. <laughs> well, this is essentially what the, yeah, the, right, the, the, right. this system is, leads to corruption. Right. Right? And that there's a, a better way to know God than through this system. Right. I mean, this is essentially what the Reformation is. Yeah. Right? You have Luther and Calvin and others. Right. Of course, that brings forth the Enlightenment, you know, because part of the Reformation is you'll have an individual relationship with God, not right. a collective relationship with God. Right. And this changes the whole world. Yeah. Right? It really does. Yeah. Because it gives birth really to the Enlightenment. The idea, well, if you have an individual relationship with God, you must have the ability to act independently. Right? This changes how the world is viewed. Right. And of course, that gives spring to the United States, to the Constitution, to the Declaration of Independence, to all men are created equal. The intellectual genealogy is fairly obvious when you follow it down to yeah, Exactly. Right. Yeah. And so what you have here, though, in mid-19th century Germany is this idea that people are not fit to decide their own fate. <laughs> Again, sounds familiar right now. Yeah, yeah. No, yeah that's really what this, this 19th century German philosophy is all about. Right. This is chaotic. People can't be left to their own devices to struggle for what is right and wrong and how to best implement it. Right. We need order government. <laughs> That's right. We yeah. need government to implement this for them. And, and their idea is eventually we won't need a government because everybody will be equal. Everybody will be content. Everybody will be happy. We get rid of government. Right. Well, that's right. not happen. That will not ever happen. Right. Right. And so... I mean, the philosophy is just busted. Any rational, objective view of it, it's just broken. Nobody right. believes this is what's going to happen. Yet we still have these progressives who believe that by eradicating moral agency from political agency, they can bring happiness and contentment and satisfaction to the world. Right. Well, it's a it's a utopian vision. I mean, and I applaud them for dreaming. And having a dream is not, is not the bad thing. 
implementing that dream through force is the bad thing. No, exactly. Which is the only way that, that their utopian vision of the world can ever come to pass. It's all predicated on like force. Like they care. But force, coercion, compulsion. Right. That's the model. Right. And it's believe what I believe or be punished. Right. Do what I say or be punished. I have the power for your own good. Yeah, exactly. And so it's all, that's so much of it. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> Which takes us back to cancel culture. Right. Because what they really have to cancel is people using the moral agency. Well, people using their own brains, just period. Yeah. I mean, yeah. let's, let's well, just state it plain. Yeah, exactly. I mean, we see this with the Hunter Biden laptop. Yeah. Right? Like, great example. If people, we know now this laptop was genuine. Yeah. The information on that laptop is genuine. Right. We know that Hunter Biden, somebody the other day made a snark comment to me. They were discussing these attacks on... Uh, Electrical utilities in the United States. Yeah. And somebody said, well, you're going to blame Hunter Biden for that. And I said, well, if Hunter Biden is doing that, that's the only crime he hasn't committed. <laughs> this is true. <laughs> I mean, the guy is a, a one-man crime wave. This is true. And, the, and he documented it all is the thing on his well, laptop. Which is in itself horrible. But <laughs> to tell you the honest truth, what Hunter Biden did or didn't do isn't the problem. Right. What the media did, what the U.S. government did in order to bury what Hunter Biden did or didn't do. Exactly. And in advance of an election that they wanted to change. Yes. That, that to me is the terrifying part. Exactly. And anybody who spoke up and said, wait a second, this laptop is the real, real deal. Yes. And canceled. these, these are... <clears throat> Things that we need to be concerned about because his dad is about to be elected to the most powerful position on the planet. And those people were silenced. Yeah, exactly. It has to be clear, right? Because this is not a matter of somebody's son going bad. No. <laughs> this is a matter that Joe Biden was fully engaged in this corruption and got his cut of it. And that is the evidence that's on the Hunter Biden laptop. It's exactly. really the Joe Biden story. And yes. I think that's very important for people to remember. Yes, exactly. And that's what they were burying. That's what they were canceling people because politically expedient or political expediency said we need to get Joe Biden into office and Trump out. Exactly. The last thing you want to do people to do was use their moral judgment to decide if a man who was taking kickbacks from foreign governments through illegal business dealings should be president of the United States. God bless. You know, I mean, we wouldn't want anybody to make a decision based on that, right? Well, exactly. That's sarcasm. No, 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 no. But, but no, but that's exactly it. Yeah, exactly. And we we <laughs> People say, like my Solstice example, well, nobody's raping little girls to death. But, but let me give you a really good example. And we okay. haven't heard this much as of late, but 2020, 2021, we heard this a lot on social media. People are saying, punch a Nazi. Yeah. Remember that? Yeah. And so here's... Meaning, I, not Nazis. They're it, not talking about Nazis. No, no. I'm 60 years old. I've met my entire life maybe one genuine Nazi. Right. And so what they're saying here is... It's a fantasized world they have created where anyone who disagrees with me is a Nazi. Hence, I am obliged, not even permitted, but morally obliged to commit violence against that person. Right. Right. And so anyone who disagrees with you can claim as a Nazi and hence claim you have the right to commit physical violence. And there were people who ended up with violence committed against them. People ended up in the hospital. People ended up dead. Yes. Right. So this is not like what I talk about. What Solzhenitsyn went through, and people go, well, that's not applicable. No, that, that idea is totally applicable. It's very much applicable. It is. People have died in this country in the last three years because of these 
ideas right. because replacing politically moral agency with political agency right. and creating these fantasies that are politically expedient. Yeah. I mean, this is a real thing. Well, they're committing thought crime. And, and that is the biggest crime of this whole thing is the silencing of people, not the violence. I mean, the violence is horrific. Yes. And, and the things that have been done in its name, in the name of this political expedience is horrific. It's the chilling effect on the rest of us. It's me sitting down to say something on social media and saying, you know what? I really shouldn't say this. I have a job and a career and I don't want to jeopardize that. That to me is the most terrifying part of all this because people are being bullied and I use that word deliberately, bullied into silence. Yes. And if you can't speak out against things, let's talk about the, the election denier charge for a second, because that, that was that's one that they've used quite a bit to, to try to cancel people. Oh, yeah. And, uh, you know, I mean, I can't think of a better way to make our elections better than to question whether or not they were run correctly. I, I, I mean, there is no better way to actually make a system better than to question the pieces of it and see, can they be improved? Were they broken? And anytime you do that nowadays, you're called an election denier. We saw it obviously with 2020 um, and, you know, the January 6th protests and all that, which we can get to in a second. But we saw it in Arizona. We saw it in Colorado. We've seen it all over the country of people questioning, was this run correctly? I mean, there were simultaneously pipes breaking all over the country at 2 a.m. in the morning so that they could bring in more ballots. You know, I mean, is that right? You know, well, and, and then you're called an election denier. You're, you're, you're termed a conspiracy theorist. You're, you're, you're shuffled to the margins of society and nobody will listen to you anymore because of these charges. Well, I think there's something more fundamental to that. Okay. There's a problem Republicans, conservatives, libertarians have. So we exist very much in this postmodern world that the progressives have created right. where everything is political. Right. And there are far too many Republicans, conservatives, and libertarians perfectly willing to embrace the postmodern world while they verbally condemn it. Okay. Far too many people want to argue all of this on political grounds. Okay. Make everything political. I'm afraid I'm guilty of this. I want you well, to keep we're going here. <laughs> guilty of this to some degree. Okay. Right. But we do, right? And far too many Republicans, conservatives, libertarians will repeat whatever they read on the internet if they know it's true or not. If, you know, they, they don't care, right? It builds their narrative. So there's a lot of people in the Republican Party who believe that the only way to defeat progressive lies, progressive abuse of power, progressive lack of principle is to have their own lack of principles, their own lies, their own abuse of power. And that's just the road to hell. We sell our souls, you know, what yeah, we this, this yeah. is what This is what progressives want. Right. Right. This is what they want. <laughs> and far too many people are giving them exactly what they want. So when it comes to the election. Yeah. I mean, here's the facts. Uh, courts in Wisconsin and Pennsylvania declared those elections to be done in an illegal manner. In an illegal? Illegal or? manner. Okay. Right. Boom. Yeah. So there's, there's the facts right. that these were done improperly. Right. Okay. That's, that's not really... Legally debatable. But the problem you had, if you remember back, you had two lawyers, who I won't mention by name, <laughs> who came out with the most outrageous charges mm -hmm. about a particular company that builds voting machines, mm -hmm. who I won't mention their name. <laughs> and Trump repeated those charges. Right. And lots of people got on the bandwagon. At the end of the day, there was nothing to those charges. 
But places where there really were election irregularities, where things really were done incorrectly, and where courts found they were done incorrectly, just got lost in the mix. Right. Because what you have is a great number of people who latched on to what turned out to be just bullshit. Right. And gave progressives the ability to smear everybody. Right. As just being bullshit. And here's the problem we have. We need to be careful. We need to, look, we fight this argument. We fight this battle. And this is a battle of ideas. It's not a battle against people, right? It's not a battle. You're bad. You're good. Right. Right. This is a battle of ideas that we're fighting. And we fight this battle of ideas on our moral agency. And part of that moral agency has to be saying, oh, I was wrong about that. I'm sorry. You see this on the internet a lot. (laughs) You see people who are ostensibly Republican, conservative, libertarian adopt this postmodern arguing tactic where they will spew something that's not true, just bullshit. Right. And then they all say basically, well, prove it's bullshit. (laughs) Right. Okay. So the postmodern world is the only place in history that has been an appropriate means of discovering the truth. Right. If you're going to invest in this classical school of thought we talk about, Okay, you're going to say this is true, and here's the evidence I have why I believe it's true. Right. Not post something that's bullshit and say prove it's not true. Right. And this is what progressives do constantly because they would love it if we did nothing more than spend all our time disproving their bullshit because they can produce endless more bullshit. Yeah. There's no very, very good at it. (laughs) Yeah. There's no end to lies that can be produced. Mm -mm. There simply isn't. So if you're going to spend your time disproving their lives, their lies, you have wasted. Your time. Yeah. It took me a long time to figure that out. Yeah. And it's it's really hard because it's almost addictive uh, to sit there and argue back with them, um, which may be why why they're in the same spiral. You know, I, I maybe I'm going to give them the benefit of the doubt and say that that's why they're in that spiral is because, you know, it is addictive. There's a there's a dopamine rush that you get when you feel like you got a zinger in there. Yeah. Even well, if it's not. So, well, you know. Yeah. And, and like we mentioned before. The response is, what objective evidence do you have for that? Right. And they have none. But it's just as true very often of Republicans, conservatives, libertarians. Right. Well, say things on the internet. It's like, well, what objective evidence do you have of that? So here's the problem is that Democrats don't believe in objective evidence. They don't believe in objective truth. We do. And so if we're going to hold at all true to who we are, we have to back our stuff up, which is not a fair playing field. Well, but it is. Well, so let's assume it's not fair. It's much more powerful. Okay. In the long run, as we saw with Solzhenitsyn, right? Solzhenitsyn, well, (laughs) that's the problem. (laughs) Communism in the Soviet Union lasted 70 years. Yeah. Um, People go, oh, that's a long time. Well, indeed it is. But in that particular culture, those people had dealt with czars for a thousand years. Sure. And they could only swallow communism for 70. Yeah. Right? I mean, you could be a surf for a thousand years, but communism is so much worse than being a surf. You'd only do that for 70. So, we fight this by being truthful. And if we find out we made a mistake and we weren't accurate about something, we just say, oh, I'm sorry. Yeah. I was wrong. Here's what I found. Because part of this moral agency is a struggling for what's true, grappling with that truth and how to implement it. And it's okay to discover further information or a better way to implement it. Which is absolutely true in a normal, moral polite civil society would afford us, you know, some amount of, of at least moral power in, in being able to say stuff. The, the problem is, is that 
you can be condemned and canceled for stuff that you said in high school. Absolutely. At the age of 50. Absolutely. You know, I mean, I, Facebook has suspend, suspended me for memes I shared five years ago. Right. I've right. never been in Facebook jail. I don't know how that's happened. Oh. <laughs> I probably shouldn't broadcast that. <laughs> well, I'll tell you what. This is true. You talk about being careful what you have to say. Yeah. Right? So if I say, if I mention Hitler, if I mention Mein Kampf, right. if I mention any of Hitler's lackeys, even the more obscure ones, anything like that, I get thrown in Facebook jail immediately. It's it's akin to tearing down Confederate statues. I mean, it's like they don't even want all that stuff to to exist. They don't want anybody to know about it. They don't want anybody because they're trying to repeat it, and they don't want people to see the pattern. Is my guess. No, no, no you're you're exactly right. Yeah. And and uh, yeah, it's not like I ever have anything complimentary to say about Hitler and the Nazis. I don't. Right. I show how evil this is and how wrong and why. Right. What philosophically, ideologically, they right. believed that led them to that to those actions. Right. Right. And uh, that no, no. <laughs> just an absolute Facebook jealousies. I just mentioned any of that. So right. if I have to refer to that, I on Facebook, I say the German dictator. <laughs> Everybody knows. But I wonder if the people who called MAGA Republicans Nazis ever got suspended. No. So they didn't. Yeah. No. And when they when they compare Donald Trump to Adolf Hitler, they get suspended. No, they don't. So I think my point is, is correct. Yes. I think that they are. They're trying to bury the evidence. They're trying to bury any any sort of rational thought about what led to World War II, what led to, to Hitler's right. regime, uh, and so that people do not see the parallels with what we're going through right now. Yeah. I mean, I, I have so many, and, and I hope that this isn't disrespectful to anybody, but there's so many times over the past few months that I've thought Crystal knocked. You know, I mean, that, that this is, when are they going to come knock on my door? You know, I mean, I, I just, you wonder. Well, so it's about a... Uh probably three to four hundred million firearms in this country. So they're not going to be knocking at anybody's door. I mean, I, I asked a policeman once. I said, well, if they told you guys to go collect everybody's guns, would you do it? He's like, oh, hell no, I don't want to die. I mean, you know, so I don't see him coming to knock on people's doors. But I, just, a, just a quick anecdote, which I thought was really funny. The UPS guy came to my place last night and, you know, I live out in the sticks. So he ties into my driveway and he, goes, he honks on his horn. Dun, 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 dun. And I started giggling. It's night, you know, and I come out and I said, oh, you were just you were just playing with me. He says, I just don't want to sneak up on anybody, especially not in this country. <laughs> it was pretty funny. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so yeah, I, I think you're absolutely right. I think they're not, they're probably not going to come around. But yeah, I mean, we we really need to appreciate the Second Amendment because yeah. it is going to put the brakes on a lot of things they otherwise may be bold enough to do that they are not going to be bold enough to do in this country absolutely. anytime in the near future. Well, and that is its purpose. That is 100% its purpose. Anybody who's for gun control, you need to think about that. Its purpose is to keep the government from coming and doing things to us, or anyone else. Or anyone else that they would they would very much like to do. Yes. Um, if every time I hear them and like Beto O'Rourke or, or any of them, you know, screaming about gun control, like know what your purpose is and not going to happen. Yeah. Know? I mean, that's, yeah. that's the thing. So uh, yeah. there was an event in Colorado Springs. I believe it was 2020. Okay. And armed Antifa, openly armed Antifa had intended to go to an individual's house who they did not like. And quickly, there were other people, neighbors, who rallied around that in wow. this neighborhood, Colorado Springs. And they spent probably half an hour with an armed standoff looking at each other with guns. 
the neighbors. And I don't remember it, this. No, oh. it did not get a lot of media attention, but I knew one of the fellows who was involved in that. Wow. And they stood there with their firearms looking at each other for probably half an hour till the police were able to convince these Antifa people to, to leave, to go away. Wow. And uh, I mean, that's how close we've been. Right. Well, it's unbelievable. Yeah. And, but and, if you didn't have neighbors like that, yeah. who were well armed. Yeah. Then what? Yeah. They were showing up at this fellow's house. Yeah. Yeah. It's terrifying. I mean, we all know that Antifa is the armed side of the DNC. So, uh, you know. Yeah, they've kind of replaced the Klan uh, as the, the armed wing of the Democratic Party. Right. For whatever it's worth. I love the name, how ironic that is, the anti-fascist, because they are the fascists. You well, know, is, <laughs> but again, right, we re point reject that, objective truth, reality, evidence. Right. We just make stuff up. That, that's right. Yeah. That's right. It's like the Inflation Reduction Act. Yeah. Or, you know, this is just true. Or women's health or. Yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. I, I mean, the, the Congress has a bill that does horrible, corrupt things. They call it the I love kitties bill. And if you oppose it, you don't love kitties. Exactly. Exactly. Right? That's, that's exactly how it works. I don't know if you were listening to the news back on January 6th. Obviously, the, the second anniversary of, of the <laughs> the insurrection when a whole bunch of people walked around and took selfies inside the Capitol because that's what takes over the government is selfies. You know that. Um, and Hakeem Jeffries and Joe Biden and God knows who else had the temerity. Yes. To, to actually state that five officers died that day. No officers died that day. Zero. Yes. Zero. I mean, it's, it's not even a passing acquaintance with the truth. It's an absolute lie. You know what's going to go down in the freaking history books because of it. Well, yes. in the not too distant future, there's going to be a lot of PhDs to be had by trying to explain why the United States went collectively insane. <laughs> <laughs> right? and, and this is true. Fair and enough, what, yeah. what Jeffries and Biden and others said is just evidence of that. Yeah. And you know, we have, like I said, we have there's people on the Republican side who are Equally. just as unfamiliar with the truth. True. So true. I guess I, I mean, you fight this. You fight this whole thing on, on moral agency, not on political agency. You have to fight it on the grounds of reality and, uh, and the truth and, and search for the truth. And, and regardless of the labels, I well, mean, right? It's, it's okay to be. So here's a good example. Immigration. Okay. Okay. What's happening at the southern border? So you have large, very large numbers of people, adults and children being trafficked by right. cartels. Right. Undergoing horrible things. Right. Horrible things. Inhuman things to get into this country. Right. You have uh, people dying in the desert trying to get into the United States. You have people dying in the back of you know, semi-trucks. This is, I could blanket statement, this is morally reprehensible. Absolutely. I, and, and yet progressives don't want to argue it on moral agency. They want to argue it on political agency because they find that situation politically advantageous. The people are dying in the desert. People are being trafficked. And they will call you a bigot and anti-immigration and whatever else if you point out this is morally abhorrent. Right. This is inhumane. And before we get attacked for what you just said, <laughs> I want to clarify. They're not saying that they want people to die in the desert. What they're saying, what they want is they want a, an entire replacement class of, of folks coming in who they believe are going to be future Democrat voters. Well. So it's not it's not obviously the ones who are who are it doesn't bother them that people are dying in the desert. Bingo. It doesn't bother them that people are being trafficked because they find that politically 
expedient. The, and the end result is politically expedient, yes. having having the new voters. And yes. so, so, so they're just willing to overlook all that. Yeah, yeah. And to be clear, right, I am very pro-immigration. Absolutely. I am very pro-immigration. And Congress could... And by the way, that's from an Indian. Yeah. <laughs> well, co- Congress could fix this situation in an afternoon. It's right. not that difficult to fix. Right. Right. It really is not difficult to fix this situation, but never happens. And there are Republicans who join right in and fight it on political grounds when the whole point is people are dying. People are being trafficked. This is what we need to focus on ending, but it's not politically expedient to do so. So it never reaches Congress to do so. Right. There's there's not enough pressure. There's yeah. Not enough, ironically, political pressure. Yeah. Well, yeah. You know? but, but the whole thing is anybody looks at this with any kind of moral agency, they're, they're going to be funded abhorrent. There's just no other way. I mean, it's like Solzhenitsyn raping little German girls to death. You can politically excuse that as the Soviets did. As you could put people yeah. in prison who object to that as they did with Solzhenitsyn, but you can't possibly defend that. No. And you can't possibly defend what's going on on the southern border right now on any moral grounds whatsoever. Right. But unless it's politically expedient, they're okay with what's happening to actual human beings. Right. For me, it's just so damned infuriating. You know, I mean, you just you want to you want to get some people to find a conscience. You want to get, you know, certain people who have the power to do anything to pull their heads out of their asses and actually do something about this stuff. And unfortunately, the the folks who you think might be that prove themselves to be clowns over and over and over again and have no power to be able to do a lot of this stuff. Um, You know, and that just over and over again, you're not seeing the people who who have the ability to change things as the same people who have the willingness to change things. They're not the same people. Well, but those people in Congress reflect us. (laughs) <laughs> they do. Right. We we vote for them. We nominate them. They they reflect us. We vote them. We nominate them because we vote for them and nominate them because the people who actually belong there have absolutely zero desire to be anywhere near there because they're not political creatures. You nailed, you nailed that up right on the head because all the people you want up there have no interest in doing it. None. It's this isn't exclusively true because I know some very good people in government, but okay. they're few. But by and large. What you have up there are people who are masochists or psychopaths. One or the other, or both. Yeah, or both. Yeah. 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 People go, you know what? I'm willing to have my life destroyed. Yeah. If I can get that power. Yeah. Right? That's really what it comes down to. Mm-hmm. They're not anywhere near the people you would want to have up there no. doing this. And, and this is the problem when you make everything political. Yeah. You always attract the very worst people. Always. You don't get the best people. <laughs> you get the worst people. Absolutely. You know, at least in Congress, they're they're actually getting paid. I, I think about power and, and the people that want to go into power. There's been some very good books written about this. And uh, I, I think about when I had a house that was in an HOA. Think about oh. the people. Think about the people who actually run for and want to be on the HOA. HOA. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> these are and these it, it are, are are just a microcosm of the kind of people that we elect to Congress and to the Senate and you know into our state legislatures and and that kind of thing. The people who search for that position are are so very 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 rarely the people that you want there. No. That. That's why these problems persist. Yeah. And that's that's why nothing is being done about them until we have 
until the people who have the political voice have the moral agency and the, the, the moral fortitude to use that political voice for that moral end, which is not the case, it seems like ever, well, until, we, until we reach that point, that's, that's what's going to fix this, well, right? Well, I think what's going to fix this is our understanding okay. that everything is not political. Yeah. Right? That's it. It's not government fix this. No, government go away. Well, <laughs> right? I mean, people can fix this. Taleb pointed out one of his books. You can take any group of diverse people, mm. leave them their own devices, and they'll eventually figure out how to coexist and prosper together. Right. Because it's in everyone's interest. Right? I mean, that's, yeah. just, that's, the, that's the history of the world. If there wasn't the history of the world, maybe numbers of people would no longer exist. Right. Right? He, he wrote that as a Lebanese. Right. Yeah. Going, okay. For a very long time in Lebanon, Christians, Muslims, and Jews all coexisted. They figured it out. That's right. Quite lovely. Yeah. They figured it out. They did business together. They lived together. Right. And yeah. then, you know, to his point, right, you had a particular set of Islamic ideas, which most Muslims refute, mm -hmm. that entered that picture and turned it into a bloodbath. Right. Right. And what we have here in this country are these set of ideas that have entered the picture, and we're trying to stop this from being a bloodbath. Just stop and be thoughtful and think. Nihilism leads to misery, poverty, and death all the time. Right. Every single time. Right. Progressivism is just nihilism. This is all it is. Right. And it will lead to misery, poverty, and death. And the more we embrace progressivism, the more central planning, taxes, laws, regulations we have, the higher go the rates of mental illness, suicide, homelessness, crime. Yeah. All these social pathologies increase in proportion to the increase in the power, scope, and size of government. All, almost all of which is sold on the idea that they're going to end these problems <laughs> that they're creating. Yeah, as right? we discussed before, right? They're yeah. going to end these problems by creating bureaucrats. And the bureaucrats all have perverse incentives. Because right. if the bureaucrats say you had to create a bureaucracy to end poverty, well, if they ever actually end poverty, they'd all be unemployed. Right? They have no incentive to end poverty. They have incentive to expand poverty because expanding poverty is the path to promotions and greater budgets and all of that. If you ended poverty, yeah, you'd be unemployed. If we could build better incentives into the system, a lot of this would go away. I, I firmly believe well, that. Or, or just get the government out of this business. Well, that's really it, right? Because... <laughs> If we actually followed the Constitution and what the framers were trying to do and put the government in a box, this tiny little box, that, like that box is the four square quarters of what they can do and everything else is up to us. Yeah. 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 I mean, we've spent, I don't know, I think about $30 trillion in the war on poverty. Probably last... could have made everybody poor or rich by doing that. Yeah. yeah. Over almost 60 years now. Yeah. $30 trillion. And uh, yeah, you could have given everybody a check. Right. <laughs> Solve poverty for that matter, dollars, but yeah. that's not what happened, right? You ended up hiring millions of bureaucrats, right? And you ended up making who knows how many of the cronies of these politicians wealthy, yeah. And they did not move the needle on poverty. They have no um, desire to move the needle. No, there's on no poverty. incentive to move the needle exactly. on poverty. Exactly. It's yeah. But back to our original point. I mean, that's that's why everything is political, and in part, and that's. In, in defense of those on our side of the aisle who see everything as political, it's because the government is involved in everything. Well, they have made everything political no, there, in a lot of ways. There's a lot of truth in that. And we, we need to establish those bridgeheads that this is not a political problem. Right. This is a problem people solve through their own moral agency. 
how do we do that? Uh, you start arguing that. I mean, immigration is a great example, okay. right? People want to, you know, Republicans, conservatives, libertarians want to argue immigration on the grounds of politics. It's like, well, just stop. Ask your neighbor. How is this okay? People dying in the desert, people dying in the back of trucks. How is it okay that people are being trafficked, that children are being trafficked? Right. What about that strikes you as desirable? And the answer is nothing. So let me let me clarify that if you're having that conversation with your neighbors, the ultimate result of that conversation uh, uh, 300 million times over is hoping that the people will use their political power, their political voice to stop the moral wrong. Well, right. Well, yeah, sort of. I mean, but it's stop using human beings as political footballs. Right. Right. The purpose of politics, protect your rights, protect your property. These people's rights are obviously not being protected. Right. And they're not being protected because they're politicians in D.C. find it politically advantageous not to protect their rights. Right. Okay. I mean, this is just a really simple formula for what's happening. Yet, if you bring that up, once again, progressives will call you a bigot, you're anti-immigration, and any number of things that aren't true. Right. Because what they can't discuss it on is the moral grounds of what's actually happening in individual human beings' lives. Right. Because to them, that is not important. Right. Right. All that's important is the political outcome. Whatever their desired political outcome is, is justified by how much suffering any given individual has to, has to undergo mm-hmm. for them to achieve their political outcome. I mean, this is, this is the path to hell. It really is. Well, we've been on that path for a while. Well, we have. And it's not a linear path. And it rolls back. And then it comes back. And it rolls back. And we're probably at the height of it right now, uh, the highest point of it we've been since uh, the New Deal in the 1930s. That's saying something. Yeah, it is. It is. And I think I've mentioned it before. I'll mention it again. This fellow named Eugene Lyons wrote a great book called The Red Decade uh, about communism in the United States in the 1930s. Okay. How far it infiltrated into Washington politics and entertainment to newspapers. Right. It's actually, it's, it's a very good book. Okay. I would recommend people acquire it and read it. Okay. And then people, because you have this sense, part of our, our current problem, people are like, well, we've never seen this before. We've never been here before. We've never, things have never been this bad. Well, hold this on here. part of the problem with tearing down statues and well, censoring and, 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 history and all exactly. that. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. Go read that book and then realize just how bad it was. Yeah. Right. Um, uh, there might have been the Roosevelt and the Truman administration, uh, maybe as many as 500 Soviet agents when the federal government was much smaller than it is now. Right. Right. People, cabinet level positions, uh, ambassador to the UN, all sorts of things. Now they're openly communists, so it doesn't really matter. Well, well no, exactly. <laughs> so. There's a truth in that. There's a truth in that. Yeah, I know. And that's that's the thing that's terrifying. I mean, well. And we, we can argue this, this is, we're kind of getting a far afield from, from where we started in, in cancel culture, but the openness, the brashness, the aggressiveness with which they push these ideas, with which they decide deride the, the idea of the United States, not just the United States itself, but the idea that we're founded on, that all men are created equal. Yes. And decide that, you know, that is just a bunch of old white men lying to us through the ages. I mean, that's, that's, that's really seems to be the argument right now. It's a nonsensical argument. In so many ways. I I, I had a conversation with a teacher not too long ago. Okay. (laughs) I can only imagine how this went. (laughs) Progressives don't believe. uh, Progressives believe all men are created equal. They believe the difference outcome is because of oppression. I said, well, 5% of black and Hispanic students in Denver public schools read a grade level. So who's doing the oppressing here? Mm -hmm. And the response I got, this is classic, said, well, 
those children are not cognitively able to read. Are you kidding me? I'm dead serious. And and my response was, well, okay, so black and Hispanic students 50 years ago, 100 years ago, 150 years ago, were perfectly capable of reading. And now you're saying they are cognitively incapable of reading? Right, and it's geographically centered? Yes, it's geographically centered. But, but here's the point I want to make to that, because this is so important to understand, to understand this, this logic and to understand cancel culture. Okay. Okay. Anytime the failures of progressivism and progressivism is nothing but failures. It's, it's all across the no board. Successes. Yes. There are no successes. Their ideas suck. Yeah. And so <laughs> every time it becomes evident, their ideas suck in all of history. The response has been some people are defective. That's it. Right. That, that, that is their I can't believe answer. that person had the temerity to say that. Yeah, no, they're cognitively <laughs> incapable of learning to read. That's, wow. that's what he said. That, that, that's a direct quote. And so. And they call us the racists. Yeah, they call us the racists. Right. But but this is it. This is ultimately where you end up when it's obvious your ideas don't work. Right. Is you have to say they don't work because those people are defective. Right. And, and if they were perfect, the ideas would work perfectly. Exactly. This is why Woodrow Wilson was such a voracious racist, the progressive, because, yeah, I mean, his ideas didn't work. His ideas did not improve the lives of people in America who were black. So those people are defective. That is the automatic response from progressives. It's not our ideas are bad. Our ideas have failed. Our ideas suck. It's those people are right. Marx and Engels. Engels said Jews were racial trash. Yeah. Right. I mean, this is not new. This is what it was based on is the idea that our ideas only work for some people. They don't work for those other people because those other people are defective. Right. That's Marx and Engels. And right. that has carried through every strain of this 19th century German philosophy. Every place anybody's tried to implement it. Cuba, Vietnam, China. Right. Name yeah, it. Eastern Europe. Yeah. You know, Soviet Union. You name it. Yeah. Every single place. Not to mention, you know, the most obvious, Nazi Germany. Right. Right. Which is predicated on the whole idea some people are defective. Right. Right. And so this is just baked in the cake for progressivism. <laughs> it, it just again, just the irony that they're the, they, they blame us. They, they accuse us of being the racist when when they are the ones who believe that they are the ones who cannot afford equal rights to these folks because they believe that they are equal. No, they, it, they just flat out don't believe that they're equal. And anybody who's superior to them, same deal. You know, no. if you actually have a moral sense and you're able yes. to articulate it in yes. an intelligent manner, you're going to be stuck in the same trash barrel as, uh, as uh, all these other people that they don't like. Uh, exactly. Exactly. But back to cancel culture. Okay. Okay. You can't have people pointing this out. No. Right? This is the whole essence of cancel culture. You can't have people pointing out 5% of black and Hispanic students in Denver public schools can't read at grade level. Because, can read. Oh, can read. Yeah, yeah. 95% cannot read at grade level. Right. And, and because people might start asking the question, well, what the hell? Yeah. Right? Why is that? There I has mean, to why? be a cause here. What exactly. What that possibly Exactly. Be? And how do we fix it? Because that's what immoral people would do. Not a political people, but a moral, moral people. people. That's right. Ask exactly. That exactly. So from a political point of view, they find it advantageous that these children cannot read because they have redefined racism to mean disparity of outcome right. and not teaching these children how to read will create a disparity of outcome. They will blame on racism. 
I mean, it's their a, own racism, but it, they're going to blame somebody else. It, for exactly. It. It's yeah. just a self-licking lollipop. <laughs> I mean, that's really what it is. I love and, that phrase. <laughs> and, but they can't have people pointing this out right. like we are now. Right. Right. They just can't have that because people go, well, wait a minute. It's just that your ideas suck. Yeah. Right. Let's fix the ideas. Exactly. Let's change the ideas. Yeah. Yeah. And and yeah, they. Then we can actually give these kids a chance at being successful and exactly realizing the American dream instead of keeping their their, your boots on their necks the way that the progressives do. Exactly. Exactly what they're doing. Exactly. Oh, it makes me so mad. Well, it should. It should. It should. (laughs) Thank you. Outreach everyone. Thank you for bringing me that anecdote of that teacher too, because. I've never encountered anybody who's actually said that, said that quiet part out loud, you know? Yeah. I've never encountered, it's always been just sort of, you know, hypothetical, theoretical, you know, this this must be what they're thinking based on the outcomes that we're seeing, but no, they actually believe that. Yeah, no, they're cognitively cognitively incapable of learning to read at grade level. That's insane. Yeah, it is. But but the response to that, in my opinion, is the response I gave. Well, why were they cognitively capable of learning to read if you were black and Hispanic 50 years ago, 100 years ago, 150 years ago? Right. You're telling me what that. What did you do to them? Exactly. 20 or 30 years. That makes no sense. Right. No sense whatsoever. It's just an excuse to, to explain away why your ideas suck. Right. Yeah. Well, I, I trace it back to, to Johnson, you know, the Great Society and all that crap. But anyway. Now you made me mad. This is not good. <laughs> I'm not a good. I'm not a good host if I'm mad. Back to cancel culture. Let's 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 talk about this because um, some of us have been victims of it. Most um, of us, in some way or shape or form. In, in some way, shape or form. Not all of us have like lost our jobs or anything. I mean, right. I, um, I I I got out of the city, so that this couldn't happen to me. In in, in large part, yeah. you know, um, you know that I wasn't going to see this happen. I I still have a career that I I obviously don't care as much about as I did before we started this podcast. <laughs> <laughs> no, I I think that these are important ideas to get out, which is why we're doing it. Yeah. And you know, but anyway, so if you're the victim, this is the last part that I really wanted to to talk about a little bit is sort of kind of explore. If you're the victim of cancel culture, cancel, right? The hell do you do? No, you wait it out, you bear it out, you find other avenues. Okay. I mean, that's that's all you really do. got to be flexible. I mean, we, one thing we haven't talked about today okay. that we really need to talk about are these Twitter files. Yes. Right? That's really... Thank you. Yes. That's really... What we found out is Twitter employees were banning. They were actively Either legitimately yeah. outright saying your account, your, uh, account is canceled right. or what's called shadow banning. Nobody sees your post. Right. People didn't like, and oh, they were working in cooperation with the federal government. Yeah, to do that. Yeah, right. I mean, when when did we make it okay for the federal government? Uh, never. No, no, never. <laughs> when did we make it okay for the federal government to decide whose voice is heard, whose voice is not heard? Exactly. Never. And, and anyway, you end that sentence. When did we make it okay for the federal government? Blank. You know, uh, never. Never. It would be exactly. The answer, <laughs> yeah, and the federal government paid Twitter millions of dollars to do that. Right. Right. That was a profit center. Sure. <laughs> right. Sure. So the government will pay me to ban that person or well, ban that story or ban that line of thought. And this is this is one thing that I want to I want to caution people. Um, and, and this goes for Facebook. It goes for Twitter, honestly. Um, but I'll, I'll give the caveat to that here in a second. It goes for Instagram. It goes, any any of these services that are free. You are the product. Yes. And and people, it would do people 
well to remember that anything that is provided to you for free, you are the product, even like free television, broadcast television that you don't have to pay for, you know, that comes over, over the airwaves into your rabbit ears or whatever. Um, you know, your eyes on those ads is what they're paying for. So you are the product. People need to remember that. Now, since Elon Musk has taken over Twitter, there's a difference, obviously. I mean, he took it over in part for ideological reasons, really. Uh, Babylon B was canceled. Yeah, I, I don't know if Twitter, I don't know if Elon Musk is ideological at all. I think he, he sees this as a way to enhance the value of Twitter. Well, I do too, but I do think, I mean, and he's made the statement, if you follow Twitter, if you follow Elon Musk on Twitter at all, you see the statement thrown in his face a lot, that he's a free speech absolutist. He's, he's made that declaration. Now, he's, he's not as absolute as perhaps he thought he was before he took over Twitter. <laughs> right. Maybe. I mean, I think that there's some reality that kind of hit him in the face and all that. But um, I, I, the, the myth is, at least, uh, I, haven't, I haven't seen this from, from his own fingertips, but the myth is that Babylon B got canceled. They posted, they put up a post. Sure. And, and for those of you who don't know what the Babylon Bee is, it's a satirical website. They make up stories that are funny, okay? But they do it on the right side of the spectrum instead of the left side of the yes, spectrum. Yes, yes. And so a lot of times they're poking fun at the Democrats, they're poking fun at liberals, they're poking fun at whatever these crazy ideas are that are out there right. that we see from the progressive side of the of the spectrum. They poke fun at them and they do it very, very effectively. Yes, they do. <laughs> so um, they posted some story and I honestly don't even remember what the story was. I don't either. But it got them canceled. They got their, their account suspended. Right. And that so outraged Elon Musk that he bought the damn company <laughs> for $44 billion. Yeah. So, you know, that, that tells you at least something about his commitment to this. So now that he's taken it over, one of the things that he's implemented is if you want to, you don't have to, but if you want to, you can pay $8 a month yeah. and, and support it, which decreases the amount of ad revenue that they have to, right. they have to um, spend on, the, on, they have to depend on in order to keep the company going. And it, it affords you a few, you know, pluses, a few perks, you know, and that kind of thing. But, but mostly it decreases the amount of ad revenue that they have to depend on. And so you see a decrease in ads. You are no longer the product necessarily, you know, less so. you are less so the product. Yes. And, and so I think that that's worth, that's worth noting. And it's worth, it's worth being aware of what's going on with Twitter because it's so antithetical to all the rest of the social media that's out there and the legacy media as well. It, what, what Elon Musk has done, whether you're a fan of his or not, it's revolutionary. Yeah. And you know, I mean, it's, it's absolutely. So if you are canceled, Twitter is like the one safe space. Right? <laughs> it's your own personal yeah. place to go. Uh, the fact it's still kind of vile. It is vile. It is vile. I put up a post. Um, it was on January 6th, actually. So on January 6th, I, that was a very traumatic day for me. I decided that Tucker Carlson is making me fat because... <laughs> I, I was watching his show and all of a sudden I'm in the chocolate, I'm in the peanut butter, I'm pulling out the ice cream. It's like, I don't know how to deal with these stories. Um, Ashley Babbitt, who was the one person who was killed on yes. January 6th at the hands of Capitol Police, murdered her mother, two years out on two year anniversary of her daughter's death, went to Washington to hold a memorial for her daughter and the Capitol Police arrested their mother. For jaywalking. Whatever they arrested her for. For, for jaywalking. That's Horrible. Horrible. Okay, so for jaywalking. In the Capitol. <laughs> everything not... is blocked off. You can't get anywhere near yeah. anything. Yeah, it's... it's uh... <sighs> Yeah, it's ridiculous. It's it, absolutely ridiculous. It's petty. That's what it is. It's petty. It is. So it is. regardless of what you think about Ashley Babbitt and what happened to her, right? Her mother 
This is her mother, right? Yes. Think about your mother. Yes. Goes to the Capitol, have a little memorial for her, and they arrest her for jaywalking, right. of all things. Right. Yeah. And they knew exactly who she was, and they knew exactly why she was yes. there, and they were absolutely on the 100% on the lookout. So it's, it's just petty. Right after I hear that story, then Hakeem Jeffries and Joe Biden clips of, of them actually saying, and the five police officers who can't be here today with us because they were killed at the Capitol on that day. I mean, flat out freaking lie. So I put up on Twitter, <laughs> fact, Ashley Babbitt was the only person who was killed. Fact, five police officers did not die. And you should see the comments that I got just from posting those two facts. Oh, yeah. You should see the comments that I got. It is still a vile place. There are still vile people on it. But you can say those things and not get canceled. You can say them out loud. Yes. And I don't I don't necessarily mind those people making awful comments. You know, I mean, it's just part of being in the public and, and saying things in public. You kind of accept those things. There are things that are unacceptable doxing, you know, telling people where I'm going to be at any point, single point in time or where I live or what my address right. is or any of that kind of stuff. That is absolutely unacceptable. Threats of violence. Absolutely unacceptable. Right. But, you know, saying I disagree with you and here's the reasons why, which would be the most civil response, or I wish that all of you traders had died that day, which is basically the kind of stuff that I got. But, you know, I mean, it's like it's yeah. part of it. So regardless, it's my basic take on January 6th, regardless of what you think about it. So Trump reacted far too slowly. Trump should have been out there five minutes after it started and said, go home. <laughs> all right. He, he really should have been right. That's that's the part. I hold Trump responsible for. But beyond that, here's what we should do. We should release all the video footage. Yes. Release all the information. Who, yes. who opened the doors? Yes. Somebody opened the doors. Yes. Who opened the doors and why? <laughs> we, and, who who and, strategically placed all the cameramen inside the Capitol in order to film well, all this stuff? Well, here's the question, though. Really, that gets to the heart of it. Which of those people were government assets? What did they do? What did they say? And what role did they play? Bingo. Because if you read the New York Times, considerable. I mean, this is New York Times. Yeah. Right. Not exactly the bastion of, of right wing MAGA <laughs> Trumpism. <laughs> I would say not. Right. And according to the New York Times, a considerable number of those people were federal agents. Really? Yeah. I yeah. didn't know the Times had said that. Uh, oh, That's yeah. No, the Times has, has reported that. Okay. Right? They, they, yeah. Some of these groups that were there, maybe as much as 20 or 25 percent of the participants were federal agents. Right. Right. So, okay. Tell us who all the federal agents were. How many? What'd they do? What'd they say? Give us, here's my attitude on January 6th. It's not that what those people did was okay. It was not. It's give us all the information. Right. Right. I mean, this is the problem we have is this January 6th committee. We got the information they wanted us to have. Well, give me, give me everything and I'll, I'll judge for myself who's responsible and why. Exactly. It was a star chamber is all it was. It was, that was the biggest egregious waste of taxpayer money and time that just I have ever seen in my entire life. Kabuki theater. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. Just Kabuki theater. So yeah, tell us. And I want to know what Pelosi knew and when she knew it. Yeah. Well, uh, that would be the other, other piece of all that. And where's Ray Epps? Yeah. Well, yeah. But I want to know, you know, who were federal agents? What did they do? What did they right. say? What role did they play? Right. Show us all the video footage. Tell us, yeah, who, who unlocked the doors? Just why can't we know these things? Why can't we make our own judgment of what happened? Because they don't trust us to make our own judgment because everything is political. Nothing is moral. We can't make our own judgment. They well, have to tell uh, us what uh, our judgment no, is. Exactly it. And that's the bottom line. Exactly. Exactly what it is. Yeah. They, they Yeah. If they give us all the information, we decide to considerable number of those people watching here just full of shit. Yeah. Send them home. Yeah. Yeah. And there are people still being held without a trial, still being held in isolation, in solitary confinement. 
I can't even begin to understand how horrific that single fact is. On American soil, we have American citizens being held in violation of their rights for something that literally was a bunch of people wandering around the Capitol taking selfies. I mean, this is ridiculous. You know, it, it is. At the same time, right? you have people in many of these jurisdictions committing horrific crimes being released hours later with no bail. All the time. It's, yeah, it's like, All wait a minute. The time. This, this just makes no sense unless you view it that they're doing what's politically expedient. Has nothing to do with your moral agency. Has nothing to do with all men are created equal. Has right. nothing to do with any of that. Just has to do with, we think this is politically advantageous today. And maybe something tomorrow is different that we find politically advantageous right. because there's no such thing as hypocrisy because we have abandoned objective truth, objective reality, objective evidence, right? I mean, this is what it all goes back to. It is. I mean, people need to understand it really does all go back to nihilism. As you said that, something occurred to me, and I, I, I think it's important to point out, it's not just a rejection of objective truth, you know, objective morality. It's not just a rejection. It's a, it's an active war against those things. Well, oh yeah, they're, no, they're absolutely out to destroy them. They're, they're out to destroy those yeah. things. Let's think about, for example, the attack on Paul Pelosi. Okay. Remember that? I mean, oh, it's oh, yeah. sort of a nothing burger, but you know, let's, I mean, probably not for Paul because you know, he did get hit in the head by a hammer and he yeah. was in surgery. So, you know, I understand that that's, that's pretty traumatic, but there was a lot of circumstances and details about that evening that mysteriously changed and changed quickly over the course of the 24 hours following the attack. And the one guy, the one guy, I think he was ABC News, if I remember correctly, who did a story that released the, the stuff that he had found out from the police department that attacker was already obviously inside, that Mr. Pelosi himself opened the door and then walked back towards his attacker after inviting the police in, walked back towards his attacker. That guy has never been heard from again. Yeah. Talk about cancel culture. Yeah, well, you know, I, I've made absolutely zero public comment on the Paul Pelosi thing <laughs> for the simple reason that I have no idea what happened. And I have no idea what happened because there is so much conflicting information out there. And I simply don't know what's true, what's not. Exactly. I, I mean, and this is part of it, right? This is part of our moral quagmire, right? You can read any given thing in the media any given day. And generally speaking, unless there's some overwhelming abundance of evidence, yeah, that is true and accurate. I'll withhold my thoughts until because you know it's going to be different the next day, right? And then a week later, and then right. a month later, right? And so, kind of the the thing in our cultures, whatever happened today, today's news cycle, jump on it, right? And tomorrow will be a new thing, jump on it, and we forget this thing we jumped on, right? That has a whole different perspective in another week or another month or another year. Right. As, and, as things come out or as they, you know, as they bury things and that kind of stuff, which, which leads me to the point that I really wanted to make it, which is, I, I think one of the major highways off of, or major off ramps off of this, you know, highway to hell that we're on, you know, in terms of relative truth and, and, you know, no objective truth and all, all this stuff that all the stuff that you and I talk about, one of the major off ramps is communication to the people. I mean, that's that's which is why Twitter is such a big deal. What's what's happened at Twitter is such a big deal. You know, that there is an opportunity to create, you know, that that large audience and to to reach a large number of people while bypassing legacy media, bypassing government centers, sure. you know, bypassing all of those things, because that's that's really, really important. It was yeah. it was present in our early country, you know, and when our country before and, and after the revolution, it was a very, very big part of 
you know, why that revolution happened, why the country was successful at the beginning and why, you know, why we did what we did. We need that again. And, and Twitter right now is that is the only channel in large part, you know, podcasts yeah. like this and that kind of thing, you know, all, all six people who listen to us. Oh, <laughs> we have thousands by now. Oh, okay. Many okay. thousands. <laughs> all right. I'm optimistic. <laughs> okay. <laughs> but, you know, I mean, it's, it's, you know, there, there, are, there are limited ways to get out. But legacy media is one of those ways that has been so far corrupted that it needs to be, it needs to be recaptured. And that, that reporter is one example that I think is, is tra- what's tragically wrong with legacy media how they got owned by all of this. And, and what I don't know is how you fix that, if it's even possible. Oh, it's possible. Okay, so but, how do you fix but that? But it comes back to us. Media is just a reflection of us. People want to engage in this battle. And that includes Republicans, conservatives, and libertarians, right? They don't necessarily care if what's true. They have embraced this postmodern model themselves. Yeah. So it's like somebody said the other day, had a great analogy. It's like throwing two tennis balls for your dog. Right? Your dogs will go after one or the other. Right. They can't tell the difference. And, and most people <laughs> can't tell the difference, right? Because people are just competing on narratives. They're competing on what's true. They're competing on, well, what, what, how would you use your moral agency to find the best answer for this? Right. Right. They're just spewing out whatever nonsense they read or some talking head said or whatever it may be. And then they want to die on that hill on social media. Right. You find out a week or a month or a year later. Well, that wasn't true. Right. Right. I mean, the the whole thing with the voting machines and Trump and those two lawyers after the election in 2020, just the perfect example. Yeah. We know now all that was bullshit. Yeah. Right. But it dominated. It sucked all the air out of the room for everything else that was happening. Yeah. And it ended up just not being true. And people who on their podcast bought into that are now getting sued. (laughs) <laughs> right? Yeah. For, for saying this is true. And, uh, you know, I, I mean, it's worth taking your time to see if something is true or not. It, it just is. If and, you can ever find out. Well, if you can ever find out. I mean, it, it may be years later before you find out. Yeah. Like I, the Kennedy assassination. <laughs> well, yeah. And who knows what about that is true? That if we learned lately, right? That may not be true. Right. I mean, I spent a good part of my career working without getting too explicit here, (laughs) in a world in which I had a view into what was happening in the world. Okay. Far beyond what the media would ever have. Sure. Of the years I did that, the things that were reported in the media on things I knew about, maybe 1% were true. Really? Maybe. (laughs) Yeah. And the problem is... So how do we even have a chance? Well, you wait and see. (laughs) That's, That's your chance. That's what you do. And And... Wait In the see. meantime, live your life. It, yeah, live your life and exercise your moral agency and understand when you find out a year later, 10 years later, 20 years later, right. it's context right. around what you're seeing now. Right. But trust, if you see it in the media, it's probably not true. Right. Right. Just, just assume that, right? They're, they're looking for ratings and clicks, not to educate you. <laughs> right? That's and, obvious. And yeah. part of it's just this, you know, yeah. this news cycle we have. Something happened in Moscow. So... A network cannot go on the six o'clock news and say something happened in Moscow today, but we don't know what it is or why it's important. <laughs> they just can't say that, even though something happened in Moscow and it may have been very important. Right. Right. Yeah, but but, they have no idea what it is. Well, <laughs> they don't know what it is, but they can't really say that. So they make stuff up. <laughs> they, it's conjecture. And then they can't come back about a conjecture. So they just kind of let it die or they maybe yeah. build on it. 
that's that's how that industry works. Yeah. I mean, I, I wrote a newspaper column for a long time for a newspaper, and it's just how it works. Yeah. Yeah. I think maybe I'm beginning to come up with a strategy for how you deal with, with some of what we're dealing with and, and looking at and what we're talking about is a lot of it seems to be, just like you say, wait on the day-to-day stuff. Yeah. Wait to find out what the, what the true story is. Find a true centered, find a, find a true north. You know, yeah. find your principles, know what your principles are, your exactly. moral principles and, and how those are going to guide your day-to-day decisions. Don't yeah. let the news do that. Right. And, and start to, to really concentrate on your role maybe within, and I'm sure that this, this entire explanation and advice will, will expand over time, but concentrate on your role in creating a better world. Really? Well, I, it sounds kind of pithy and, you know, Pollyanna maybe, but it well, seems it's, I don't like think it's right. pithy or Pollyanna. And, and the other thing here is it's okay to say, oh, I'm sorry, I was wrong. I yeah, have better information. Go. Yeah. I have better experience. I have better knowledge. Yeah. Right. And so I'm going to change how I view this a little bit, or I'm going to change how I implement that view yeah. a little bit. That's okay. Right. We've lost that, that that's how society actually advances. Right. By saying, oh, there's a better way. Right. Right. So right. it's OK. What a concept. Yeah. It's yeah. OK to say and do that, because especially in social media, we have punished people for doing that. Right. 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 And so it's it's OK to do that and not punish people for doing that. And, and this is, again, right. Republicans, conservatives, libertarians in a way how they have embraced the postmodern world themselves. Mm-hmm. You can't embrace this model this philosophical model and then say, I want to defeat this philosophical model. <laughs> Choose one. This is true. Right? I, I mean, you can't say, I'm going to spew bullshit and dare anybody to prove it's bullshit. Right. And then say, well, I'm against the progressive postmodern world because the classical model is, oh, I have evidence for what I believe. Right. Here's my evidence. Here's what I believe drawn from this evidence. Not just here's some bullshit. And right. Feels me right. Wrong. Feels right. So exactly. I'm going to say it. Yeah, I, I mean, the g- great example is every time somebody has heart attack or cardiac arrest now it's oh, because well, of the COVID because vaccine, of COVID yeah. vaccine. Yeah. It's like, well, no, 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 no. You have no evidence. Now, if you tell me that COVID vaccine has caused problems for a large number of people, I find that completely plausible. Yeah. Completely believable. But you can't say about any individual person without the evidence. Right? I mean, this is it. Well, you, you but just, you can't say you can't say it wasn't the vaccine without any evidence either. Well while while the guy's still getting Sorry, I mean, everybody will know what we're talking about here. While the guy is still getting CPR on the field and all of them saying, all, all, of, this, all of the newscasters, all of them saying immediately, he's still getting CPR. They're right. saying, this is not the vaccine. They had no way of knowing that. No, they had no way of knowing. But, but let me give you the left-wing counter to that. Every weather event is climate change now. Fair enough. Right? Okay. No, it's weather. <laughs> it's not climate change it's just weather right right it snows and gets cold in wyoming i it, it rains, i love yeah it, it rains in florida yeah right this yeah. is not it gets hot in the summer exactly yeah. it gets yeah. hot in arizona yeah yeah exactly <laughs> I mean, this is not yeah and, and the the yeah the equivalent now on the republican side is is the covid 19 vaccine yeah every unexpected physical problem is because of vaccine right well okay maybe the vaccine and I would say better than maybe the vaccine probably causes considerable number of problems that they were not kind enough to alert us to. 
<laughs> okay. That is about the most diplomatic way that that could possibly be said, Keith. Yeah, Thank you. But, <laughs> but that doesn't mean any specific event right. is because of the vaccine. And people destroy their credibility right. by dying on that hill. It's like, that's not a hill worth dying on. Right. You're right. And, and it's... I mean, it's hard. It's hard not to. It's just hard not to. The problem that you're seeing, I, I see it a little different way, saying that people are, are embracing the same postmodern ideology. I was a talk show host for yeah. a while, as you know, and uh, I, I've been a talk show guest. I know you have. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I'm going on there. I had a two hour show um, Monday through Friday, and I would go on that show every day basically espousing all the things that we're condemning here on this podcast, which shows how much I've grown. Yes. I want to say that, you know, doing everything that I could to make sure that, you know, I had engaged and active listeners who understood exactly where I stood and all that kind of stuff. And I have in the years since that, and that was about seven, eight years ago, in the years since that, I've, I've learned about how I could have approached that entire situation better. I yeah. could have a approached that microphone better with a better eye towards what the legacy could leave um, from that perspective. And so, I, you know, and I think maybe this podcast is part of part of my concept, you know, that, that's grown out of that. But it's it's hard not to do that. It's yeah. really hard not to do that. It's hard not to to jump on the news story of the day. And, exactly. And to to find a hill to die on and then go die on it. You know, it's it's really hard not to do that. Especially, I would argue, and, and we can make this a, a subject for another day, but I, I would argue that when you feel so marginalized as conservatives and Republicans have come to feel over the course of the past few years, so marginalized is the best word I can come up with, even though it's a word that they use all the time. But it's, you know, we're told that we don't matter. The things that we say don't matter. You know, nobody wants to listen to us. So we're told, you know, that kind of thing. When you find an audience, you're going to you're going to use the heck out of that audience because no, 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 you, know, you, true. you finally have a voice. So let me suggest something. Okay. Go back to Solzhenitsyn. Go back. We, we discussed earlier this week. I, I've known a couple of people in my life who had really remarkable lives. Mm -hmm. One of those people I knew spent 14 years in a communist Romanian prison. And wow. his crime was running an underground church in communist Romania where Christianity was illegal. Right. And evangelizing the Red Army soldiers who were occupying Romania. And 14 years he spent. Wow. Yes. Wow. Along with Solzhenitsyn. So you talk about marginalizing people. Yeah. You throw them in prisons and gulags for what they believe and for acting on their beliefs. Yet, I, I don't think Solzhenitsyn or this fellow ever felt marginalized. I think they felt it wasn't a matter of numbers. It was a matter of acquiring the truth. Right. Right. It's, it's the lies that are marginalizing. Yeah. Right. It's not the numbers. It's the lies. And it's the pursuit of that truth that puts us in the majority. I love that. Yeah. What, a, what an empowering way to finish this podcast off. I really like that. Yeah. I, I mean, it's yeah. Don't feel marginalized if you're pursuing the truth. Right. You're not marginalized. Right. You're empowered if you're pursuing the truth. If you're one to settle for lies and repeat lies, that's the definition of marginalized. That's amazing. Thank you. You well, you're welcome. Made my life better just with that. <laughs> <laughs> not, not, not just by being my friend. <laughs> so, well, thanks, Keith. Um, 
as always, a fascinating, wonderful discussion. And I'll be thinking about this all week. <laughs> so I hope you guys will continue to tune in. I hope you enjoyed this. And uh, if you did, uh, check out the show notes. And, and uh, hopefully by the time that this is posted, we'll have our, pod, our uh, website up and all such things. And uh, so give us a like. Give us a like on iTunes and Overcast or Stitcher or wherever it is that you listen to our podcast. Until next time, this is Cowgirls and Indians. Thank you.